What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Sports 360. I'm your host, Jeff Fennell, and today I will be joined by attorney and sports consultant Chris Sapola to talk about the recent Supreme Court decision that overturned the federal ban on state-sponsored sports betting. It's a landmark decision that presents a number of interesting and intricate legal, political, and practical issues. You won't want to miss this one, so keep it right here. A discussion on sports gambling on Sports 360. Well, it's my pleasure today to welcome Chris Zapola of Excalibur Sports. Uh, he's joining us here on the podcast. Excalibur is located in Manhasset, New York, and they provide a host of legal, business, and consulting services to sports teams, leagues, and individuals in the professional sports space. Uh, Chris is a licensed attorney, and he's also one of the principals at Excalibur. And he's here today to talk with us about the recent Supreme Court gambling decision that has the sports world abuzz. Chris, how are you doing today? Great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Sure. I'm glad to have you here to talk about this because obviously the Supreme Court's decision um, that overturned uh, the general ban against uh, sports betting in the United States is something that has gotten a lot of people's attention. In fact, uh, the decision was handed out, handed down what uh, May 14th. That's correct. Um, and in and in, in that decision, the Supreme Court ruled that the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which we're going to just say PASPA from this point forward, uh, was unconstitutional. Uh, that's the 1992 legislation that largely prohibited state-sponsored sports betting with a few exceptions. And that decision now has opened the way for states to legalize sports betting. And, you know, Chris, I'm glad to have you on so you can sort of discuss the ins and outs of that decision and what it uh, means going forward. So um, why don't we start here? Why don't we start with you um, giving us a, a, a thumbnail summary of uh, of the litigation, you know, discussing sure. PASPA a little bit first, what happened uh, in terms of New Jersey challenging um the the act and and then taking us up through the supreme court decision sure no problem um so it it goes back to uh 2011 when it comes to new jersey and and their um fight to legalize sports betting within the state um the legislation uh at at issue as you mentioned was uh the professional and amateur sports uh protection act of 1992 uh which has it been become commonly known as PASPA, um, and PASPA was enacted at that time to stop the spread of state-sponsored uh, sports betting. Uh, you mentioned grandfathered states. Uh, Nevada has full-fledged uh, sports betting. They, they have um, for decades and, and continued to. Delaware uh, was also part of that group, as well as Montana and, and Oregon. Uh, they offered different products. It wasn't full-fledged uh, sports betting. But when it came to New Jersey in 2011, uh, New Jersey residents uh, approved uh, a referendum uh, overwhelmingly late November, in, in November of 2011, uh, by a two-to-one margin to legalize sports betting within their state. Uh, 2012, Governor Christie, who was the governor at the time, uh, signed into law 
um, the the bill legalizing sports betting, which allowed legalized and regulated sports betting at racetracks and casinos within the states, uh, within the state of New Jersey. At that time, um, the leagues sued to uh, enjoin um, New Jersey from enacting that legislation, uh, saying that it violated PASPA. And the uh, professional sports leagues won, and the NCAA won that litigation at every step. And the Supreme Court denied cert in that case. Uh, that gave rise to uh, what's become commonly known as, as Christie II. The first litigation was Christie I. Um, and in Christie II, what New Jersey did with the takeaway, uh, they went back to the, the drawing board, so to say, and uh, they decided to, instead of licensing and regulating sports betting, their takeaway from the case, from the things that were said uh, by the attorneys for the leagues and the NCAA, as well as the Third Circuit decision, uh, they believed that they could uh, essentially decriminalize sports betting at racetracks and casinos, and they would not run afoul of PASPA. Um, so instead of you know proactively going out and looking to regulate it, they're just going to decriminalize it at those locations, and they should be permitted to uh, offer sports betting. They Again, the, the leagues in NCAA sued New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey lost it every step of the way again, uh, but this time the Supreme Court granted cert, and they, they took the case over the uh, in, inspector general's um, advice to not take the case, which was also just a, another tidbit along the way uh, of the hurdle that was overcome to, to get to that hearing. And ultimately, the Supreme Court ruled by a, a six to three, seven to two margin based on, on how you, you read the opinions and the concurrence and the dissent um, that PASPA was unconstitutional. It violated the Tenth Amendment, which uh, deals with the uh, federal government commandeering rights that belong to the states. And that's how we ended up where we are today with uh, New Jersey winning that case, uh, PASPA was uh, declared unconstitutional, it was invalidated, and that's where uh, we sit today with all the states that are looking to legalize, um, proposing legislation and, and having their hearings. Right. Now, on that last point, Chris, I know in conversations you and I have had, you have made a point of correcting the record, so to speak, because a lot of people um, have have said or it's been written that the Supreme Court's decision legalized um, sports betting in in the states. And you said that's not quite right. Can you explain that? Yes, uh, that's correct. And, and that was there's a, there have been a lot of misconceptions uh, since the court ruled, um, because, you know, like you mentioned early on, uh, there's a lot more attention on this subject now. Uh, one of, of the, the common uh, misconceptions you hear is that sports betting is now legal. It, it's not legal. What, the, uh, what Justice Alito wrote uh, for the majority of the court was that, and, and it's actually an interesting line because it, it brings the federal government back into it, but what he wrote was Congress can regulate sports betting directly, but if it elects not to do so, each state is free to act on its own behalf. Um, Right now, you have states that are entertaining legalizing sports betting. Congress still can uh, can act, and there's there's talk about Congress getting involved and having hearings in, in late June to 
potentially so uh, at, at this point, um, it's up to the states to act to legalize sports betting. And unless your state does so, uh, sports betting will remain uh, illegal w- within your borders. So now give us um, the current landscape, because I believe in the past week or so, Delaware um, has gone full-fledged with um, sports betting. and there are a number of states that are positioned to do so and others who are considering doing so. Can you give us a little bit of the landscape as it exists among the states right now? Absolutely. So Nevada is obviously the state that has been and will continue to offer a a full wagering menu. Um, In addition to Nevada, one of the other grandfathered states under uh, PASPA, uh, Delaware, just you, you are correct that last week, last Tuesday, uh, they started taking single-game wagers and went to a more uh, Nevada, Las Vegas-style uh, wagering menu. So it, prior to that, it was only uh, NFL parlay wagers. Uh, now they have a um, a, a much uh, closer menu to Nevada than previously. Uh, New Jersey is the, the next state that uh, will most likely – have uh, sports books up and running within the state. Their Senate and Assembly unanimously passed legislation um, last Thursday uh, to legalize sports betting. The bill is currently, as we sit here today, on the governor's desk, uh, Governor Murphy. He has not signed the bill into law as of yet. That's caused some people to be upset in New Jersey, you know, thinking that this should have happened quickly. I believe that they were hoping to have sports books up and running over the weekend. Um, That did not happen. So, you know, once he signs the bill into law, New Jersey will be the the third state to have full-fledged sports betting. And the outside of New Jersey, um, West Virginia has passed legislation, Mississippi as well. Uh, They need to adopt regulations. And that should happen by football season. So I would expect those to be the next two. Um, New York, uh, potentially. Uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Uh, Pennsylvania has has passed the legislation. So there are states jockeying for position as we currently speak. But I would think by the fall, you'd probably have, when it comes to you know uh, a, a what is viewed as a, as a full wagering menu, in Nevada, uh, New Jersey. Delaware and you know West Virginia and and or Mississippi. Now, as more states get into legalized sports betting, I would imagine that the state of Nevada probably is the most unhappy about the <laughs> developments. Uh, would that be a correct assumption? Because again, I mean, for years, right? They they've been the only. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, they've been the only ones, the only state um, mm-hmm. with a full fledged uh, sports book. So I would imagine that the state of Nevada looks at this and probably is not too happy with the development. Is that a correct assumption, you think? Depends who you speak to. Um, so, you know, Nevada uh, sports betting as a whole is viewed as a, a low margin business. Uh, when you talk to casino operators and people in the gaming industry, Sports betting is used as a draw into the property, 
uh, and then money is spent elsewhere. Um, rooms, uh, restaurants, other, you know, higher margin gaming. You know, if you look at reports from the uh, Nevada uh, Gaming Commission, the, you know, the margins on slot machines are, are very high. So, you know, it, I think that when it comes to the the gaming industry in Nevada as a whole, I don't think that they're that concerned about it. You know, you can look back to when, you know, there was a time when casinos weren't in every state, you know, and the proliferation of casinos being operated across the country really hasn't negatively impacted Nevada. You know, Las Vegas is viewed as Las Vegas. It's unique. There's more than just one, uh, you know, facet to going to Las Vegas. It's not just about the casino. There's there's a lot going on there. So I, I don't think the gaming industry as a whole is is going to be negatively impacted or, or necessarily that concerned. I do think that when it comes to you know the sports book operations, you know clearly they'll they'll take a what the hit will be. Maybe you don't have everybody go out to Nevada for March Madness or the Super Bowl like they do uh, currently, um, but I, I don't know that they're necessarily um, overly concerned about the impact. I think that it will uh, force, and this is where it will be interesting what states are, are more progressive with their legislation, I think it will force Nevada to um, evolve and you know, sort of um, update their their regulations, so to say, when it comes to uh, depositing, uh, you know, mobile deposits, the mobile products that are offered. Um, so th- that will be interesting to see if they, you know, sort of become a little more progressive now that there is more regulated competition. But I think overall, the gaming industry is is not concerned. They don't look at it as a a negative to the state and the industry. Fair enough. Let me ask you this question, because this is something that over the years, as I've had conversations with colleagues in other countries, uh, particularly countries in Europe, um, they've often remarked to me that they did not understand why the United States was so against sports gambling, uh, because sports gambling has been going on in Europe for years. Um, What's your view of that? Is it is it? the corruption concern here in the United States, transparency issues. Historically, what has been uh, the issue for the states or for this country overall when it comes to sports betting? I, I, I think that, you know, you you look at the, the landscape and when PASPA was enacted, yeah, I, of course, integrity issues are you know, always at the forefront. And, you know, I, I think that that was probably, you know, uh, what was uh, the biggest concern when it comes to, you know, the spread of sports betting. Um, you're right. It's 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 just woven into the, you know, everyday life of, of people in, you know, in London, in the UK. So the idea that, you know, it's not legal here, but it goes on, you know, offshore. And it's basically you know, everybody knows that sports betting takes place, but it was only legal in Nevada um, and limited in Delaware. It's confusing when you look at it, when you take a a 30,000 foot view of the laws in this state, excuse me, in this country, it is confusing. Um, And I I think that the the paramount concern was always integrity of the game issues. Um, But I think we got to a point where, you know, when you, when you really looked at where we stood and again, 1992 was much different than 
2018. And when you look at 2018 and what goes on in the proliferation of the offshore uh, sportsbook industry, you know, as well as the, you know, the the local bookie uh, that, you know, it seems everybody knows somebody uh, that they can place a wager through, you, you kind of wonder, it's just as much a part, it seems, as, you know, everyday life here, it just hasn't been in a transparent regulated space. So I I understand, you know, when you talk to people outside of this country that there might be you know, some confusion as to, to why we have the landscape. And I think that now we'll, we'll end up eventually, I don't think it will be quickly, um, but I, I do think we're headed towards, you know, a, a system that is much more in line with what you see in the UK. Now let's transition a little bit, Chris, to what we might expect. As, as states begin to move into the space and legalize gambling, what, what, what what's your prediction in terms of how this is how this is going to look are fans and and others going to be able to bet on all sports do you anticipate there'll be some sports like college sports and others that might be off limits um what do you see happening here i you know as we currently uh, look at the landscape it's going to depend state by state and and what their comfortable with and what, what the regulators are comfortable with and what they're not. There's been talk about exempting college events. I, I haven't seen that um, play out, but, you know, there were rumblings uh, to, you know, to take the college events out of the, the space. I, I, I'm not sure that that's the best uh, way to go about it, knowing that, you know, especially college football and college basketball are, you know, huge uh, sports uh, for sports bettors. You know, if you just look to Nevada, you know that it's going on offshore. I I tend to believe that, you know, having that in the regulated space makes more sense. You can more closely monitor for, you know, integrity-related issues, match fixing, point shaving. Um, so, I, you know, I, but it, it's something that's been talked about, uh, exempting certain college events where, you know, the contest takes place within the state or deals with a, you know, a school that's located within the state. Uh, that's been, you know, talked about for many years in Nevada. You could not wager on uh, Nevada Reno or UNLV games. Um, that's changed. You now can in Nevada. So I think each state, it will be a feeling out process as to, you know, what's offered, what what the menu looks like. Uh, and, you know, one of the concerns that, that you hear is, you know, this will, and um, uh, former Senator uh, Bill Bradley, who was the original sponsor of uh, PASPA, you know, he, at post-Supreme Court decision, he was, you know, quoted, he had, he took issue with the, the court's ruling and had concerns that, you know, now it's going to, lead to wagering on high school athletics and, you know, amateur athletics. I, you know, it hasn't happened in Nevada. It's, it's something obviously, you know, you want to look for New Jersey's legislation does not permit wagering on uh, high school athletics. And there are, there's language when it, it comes to uh, contestants below 18 years old. Um, so I, I don't see that uh, in practicality playing out that, uh, we have wagering on those events, but that's something that each state legislator is going to have to decide if, you know, if you talk about uh, minor league games and, 
you know, D-League games, whatever it may be. These are all the things that each legislator has to weigh when it comes to what is offered on the wagering menu. And it will be on a state-by-state basis and what they're comfortable with. And it would seem to be that there's some legitimate concern about, you know, college games, minor league games, as you mentioned, developmental league games, where the players who are participating in those games are either not being paid at all or are being paid relatively little. And so the thought being that they're the most vulnerable to corruption and bribes and those types of things. Um, those seem to be legitimate concerns, don't they? I I completely agree. I understand, you know, those viewpoints and they make sense, right? When you just look at it logically, those are the people that are uh most susceptible, right? When you the when you talk about the uh, athletes in the professional level that are making millions of dollars and you know, it, it's much harder to to fix a game with them. You know, there there are if you look at the history of match fixing, um, it, it's not just money necessarily. You know, sometimes it's it's not only about that. So when you know a counterpoint to that argument that well, professional athletes can't be corrupted. Well, you know, maybe it's something that there's incriminating photos of them that they don't want their family to see. So you know, it's not it's not as simple as some people want to make it out to be. Um, when it comes to the match fixing. And, it, and it's something, the integrity of the game issues are, you know, I, I think they're of paramount concern to everybody involved. It's not, you know, it's obviously the leagues and the people that put on the event, uh, fans, but also the operators. You know, they don't want a situation where there are, are fixed matches and, you know, they're essentially putting a, a product on the board that they're being taken for. You know, sportsbook operators don't like losing money. So, I think that, you know, how we get there, what the offerings are, what the best way to go about it is, I think that that's, that's a fair discussion and, and there's valid points on each side, right? Pure, purists would say, you know, if you look at what's going on now, there's an underground market. It's, you know, aren't we better having everything in the regulated space where we can monitor it? You know, and then you hear from sportsbook operators and they say, well, we're not going to, you know, allow – uh, wagers with no limits, uh, you know, to be placed on these amateur events. And, you know, w- it's all part of uh, essentially smoking out match fixing and, and point shaving. You know, there are good points on, on every side of this argument. And that's the, I guess that's the tricky, you know, nature of, you know, how do we get to, um, you know, a point where sports betting is operating most efficiently. Um, and, and that will take time. That's not going to happen overnight just because, it's people have to to learn it, uh, understand you know how the parties can work together, and it, that will take time. That's not going to happen overnight. So it, when it comes to those athletes, though, you're you're absolutely right. I, I I think when you just look at it from the outside, you know, amateur athletes are arguably most susceptible just because of the the lack of money uh, or no money at all when you're looking. Uh, through the NCAA lens. Um, so they, that's something that's going to have to be watched closely. Now, Chris, you mentioned the underground market uh, a couple of times, and certainly we know that there is a pretty substantial underground market when it comes to sports betting. Uh, do we have any idea uh, what's the best thinking in terms of how much money each year is being you know, wagered in the underground market? 
there have been estimates, um, conservative estimates. You know, you you can I've seen it as low as you know sixty billion. Um, the, the most aggressive estimates, and this goes back to uh, when Commissioner Silver first started, you know, talking about sports betting and you know introducing the idea of maybe we're better off in a regulated space. Um, you know, it, they were as high as four hundred billion. The number you keep seeing come up. Um, you know, throughout as, as we've gone through this process is somewhere in the $150 billion range uh, that's wagered underground annually. And I think it's important to note, too, and this is another one of the misconceptions, um, you know, underground includes, you know, the, the corner uh, bookmaker, you know, that you, you see in the uh, in the movies, but it, it also includes offshore uh, operators, you know, just because they may be licensed in a, a different country. It's still, you know, illegal to wager with those offshore companies if you're in the United States. They take the money, and you know, you you can obviously do it, and that's a big part of the underground market. But I was surprised to hear how many people didn't know that that was necessarily illegal. That that was, you know, part of that underground market. So it's made up by both uh, both operators, the the hand to hand as well as the offshore. Um, but it's all, you know, it all encompasses that underground market and how that underground market is addressed in a regulated space, how you, you know, shut down that, that underground market, what steps you take. That's going to be another uh, fascinating area to watch. And, you know, is it stepped up enforcement, uh, you know, I, cracked, cracking down on these entities? Um, time will tell. But, you know, I don't think it's going to naturally have this just, $150 billion is not just going to naturally move to the regulated space. Um, so, you know, the next few years will be interesting. Yeah. And that last point, I agree with it, right? I mean, the underground market is not going to dry up, right? Uh, first of all. And and then there's the question of how much of the money that's currently being spent underground will make its way into the states that move forward with legalized betting. And certainly the states are making a bet so to speak, that um, this is going to be a significant revenue generator for them. Um, what about that? You know, are there projections on on the legal side of what this may mean for different states? And I know that could that that must be very difficult to say, you know, state to state. But what you know, what are the states realistically looking at um, from a revenue generation standpoint? It's going to depend on the state. You know, obviously, you know, um, people get excited about the Northeast just given the population. Um, I would caution. You know, you'll see these these wild numbers uh, thrown around, and uh, a lot of the time, what, what's going on is that there's there's a, a lack of understanding uh, of the difference between handle and revenue in sports betting. Handle is the total amount of money that comes into the sports book. Sometimes you'll see people talk about that as if that's revenue that that the uh, sports books receive, and that's what it's being taxed on. That $150 billion number we talked about, that is handle. That's not revenue. So I, I think that that's an important distinction because when you hear lawmakers talking about taxing handle and you see these hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, uh, in in revenue when actually that's the handle – so I think people need to I think people just need to make sure that they're 
you know, looking at numbers realistically and the lawmakers who are entertaining the legislation understand that, you know, there is a significant there is a significant difference between the two. And if you're assuming that you're going to receive tax revenue based on handle, uh, lawmakers will be extremely disappointed because, you know, the, the way that the laws are, are typically structured is that it's being taxed on uh, gross gaming revenue. And that's the net essentially of the uh, the revenue, so what the sports book actually does end up keeping. Now, what about the fantasy sports operators, um, DraftKings and and FanDuel? You know, I, I've seen some reports that uh, one or both of those companies are looking to dip their toe in the water, uh, in in the sports gambling water. What are you hearing on that front? They, they both are. Um, the day of the decision, I believe, or the day after, DraftKings uh, CEO came out and you know made clear that they were going to enter the, the sports betting space. Um, they actually uh, recently announced that they have a partnership with. Um, I, I'm, I apologize. I'm, I'm forgetting what casino it is in Atlantic City, but they've partnered with a casino in Atlantic City. Uh, to operate a physical sports book because New Jersey's legislation requires that a physical sports book be present uh, within the state at either a casino or a racetrack. So, you know, a DraftKings looks at that as that's their way uh, to use their obviously advanced mobile product, um, but they needed the physical space. So they partnered with a, uh, a casino in Atlantic City, FanDuel, recently. Uh, was purchased by uh, Patty Power Betfair, which is a, a London-based company. Uh, they have a presence in the state, um, excuse me, in this country. Um, and FanDuel will be the sportsbook arm of uh, the reports are that FanDuel will be the the named sportsbook for Patty Power Sportsbooks, and they just signed a, a deal with. The uh, with Jeff Corral, who owns the Meadowlands, uh, they will have the, the physical sports book at the Meadowlands in New Jersey, as well as uh, Mr. Corral's other property in New York. When New York legalizes sports betting, uh, Tioga Downs, which is upstate New York, and so you know they're both entering the space. They're they uh, given FanDuel's uh, purchase and you know DraftKings' stated position. Um, you know they did not hesitate to. Uh, to transition to sports betting in addition to their, their fantasy products. Now, Chris, you and I offline, we were talking about um, the leagues and how their position here has evolved, you know, in terms of the litigation, being opposed to the litigation at first. And you, you made some interesting points about that progression and that evolution, because now, you know, you see leagues, trying to position themselves in such a way to, um, you know, be able to take advantage of, uh, you know, uh, of the revenue that may be generated here, uh, which is understandable. But um, can you just give us a a little taste of that, of that progression and that evolution and how that came about where leagues now, not just the, you know, the uh, fantasy sports operators, but the leagues also are uh, looking to uh, take advantage of what's going on here? Sure, you know, and I and I think that you know it's it's not just the revenue; it's also you know they do have genuine integrity concerns as well. And I think what happened was you know with the 
progression of the uh, the, the Christie two case, the the case that was ultimately decided by the Supreme Court. You know, when the Supreme Court granted cert, that that was sort of an upset in many people's views. They they didn't think that this case would end up. When I say they, I'm just, I'm just talking about people at large, not the the leagues. Um, I don't think many people thought that this would end up at the Supreme Court, but once the Supreme Court did uh, agree to hear the case, um, I, I think that the consensus was that, okay, you know, they, they are taking this case for a reason. Uh, there may be issues with PASPA, and then, you know, when they had the oral argument on December 4th of 2017, you know, if you listen to that oral argument, I, I think that most people walked away from that oral argument, you know, thinking that New Jersey was in a favorable position. Um, at that point, states started to, and you know, around that time, um, states started to uh, hold hearings on sports betting and the potential future, uh, you know, within their borders. Um, and the leagues, uh, some leagues, you know, made the assessment that they should be involved in that conversation, uh, and, and that's where you, you see, you know, a league presence at the, uh, the the state level, you know, talking about their concerns. And, you know, from a from a product standpoint moving forward, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it, it – I from an engagement, uh, fan engagement perspective, you know, that, that will be a benefit to the leagues. Um, with the rise of in-game wagering, you know, that has potential to, to really uh, help that engagement uh, perspective. So you know, there, there are a lot of benefits uh, that, you know, overall leagues could have. But I, you know, I think that the concern is also making sure that it's done the right way, uh, and not you know not hastily done where it could create issues uh, moving forward. Now, Chris, you mentioned something uh, that I think is important to circle back to, and that's in-game wagering. Uh, there may be some who are unfamiliar with that and what it and what it means. So, why don't you uh, explain that a little bit, and then also um, the leagues. Uh, may have some concerns. Some leagues may have some concerns about in-game wagering. Um, so why don't you take us through both what it is and then some of the concerns that the leagues may have as it relates sure, to in-game sure. wagering. So in-game wagering is, you know, traditionally, I, if if you're not too familiar with sports betting, traditionally um, how sports betting works is you bet prior to a contest and then, you know, based on the outcome, um, you know, and then there there have been times where, you know, let's say in a football game, you can uh, wager on a second half uh, outcome, but it, it's been pretty much limited to before the game, and then the game plays out, and, you know, whatever side you were on of the wager, you either win or lose. Um, In-game wagering provides opportunities to, uh, for the, the better, to uh, wager during the contest. So a line, you know, use football as the example, at a commercial break, the line may be updated um, to say, you know, if a team was favored by seven points uh, pregame, they go right down the field and score. Now the line may be adjusted to 10 points. And in-game opportunities, and they can exist across every sport, um, that's what that is. And I, I think the most recent statistics that I saw, I think up to 70% of wagering done in uh, in the UK is uh, in game. So you know it, when when you talk about as I mentioned that engagement perspective, you're never if if you're betting on the game, you're never out of 
you're never losing interest if you're betting in-game because the lines constantly move, um, and it can get as granular as, you know, if you if you go to baseball and, you know, will a run be scored this inning? Or, you know, will so-and-so get a hit? Um, I've seen talk about, you know, people have talked about, you know, will the next pitch be a ball or strike? You know, th- that's getting very granular, um, and I, I, it's not offered in Nevada. The bets that are, are that, um, you know, basically, you know, will the next pitch be a ball or strike? But, you know, it is a possibility as technology advances, and, and those are the types of things that um, I, I think the leagues are very concerned with, the the uh, the integrity issues that could potentially come along with that. You know, Al Leiter was uh, testifying in New Jersey uh, last week prior to – and Al Leiter is, a, as you know, Jeff is a, is a former pitcher in baseball. He was testifying um, before – uh, New Jersey committee, and that was the example he was using about, you know, look, it's not influencing the outcome of a game. It can, though, you know, if I throw a ball and my friend places wagers, you know, around the country or at different books, and I throw the ball, and then he makes the money off of those wagers. You know, so so those are the types of the concerns that the leagues have, um, and, and it's a concern for the operators as well. Again, they don't want to be losing massive amounts of money on you know bets that are easily uh, manipulated. So with in-game, in the in the more granular it gets, the more opportunity there are for issues. So that's the league's point, but the operators feel the same way as well. And you know how we how we get to a point where we're comfortable with in-game. You know that's something that will play out over time. And is that something that's also part of the discussions in terms of the scope? of the betting that's going to be allowed in each in, in each of the states? Um, you know, it, that that will be, you know, something that regulators have to deal with and, and operators have to deal with. And it has been a discussion point um, in hearings with, you know, these, you know, to try to focus, I, I guess, the conversation on, you know, look, th- these are concerns. This could happen if we if we go really narrow on these things. It could be, you know, something that, yeah, it's not a, a, uh, affecting the outcome, but look, this is something that can happen, and it, it's essentially it, it is fixing. So, you know, these are all the things that need to be weighed. Those bets tend to carry very low limits, the the uh, from an operator perspective. But you know, the technology also has to be there as well, right? When you when you talk about real time versus you know live feeds and you know the lag behind a uh, you know, you sit at home, there may be a five, 10 second delay on your TV if you're watching a game, you know, to bet something as small as a pitch, the technology really needs to to catch up um, to to make that a reality. But, you know, it is it is possible. And you mentioned you know, 70% of the wagering in Europe is on in-game? Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, and, and when you, when you, when you look at UK and, and they have ex- exchange platforms as well, um, where that's that's advanced. I don't think we're we're going to be there anytime soon. But the, the exchange platforms differ from the traditional bookmaker and, and function more like a financial market. And that it, it's uh, a bid and an ask. You know, so you and I may be on the exchange and we're watching. Uh, you know, the Giants play the Jets and, and you want the Giants at a certain price and I'll take that 
wager, it, it operates the same as a financial market. So it's you know there are, there are many opportunities, and, and that goes on throughout in game. Um, so it will be you know again we're we're at square one when it comes to you know legalization in this country and and how it uh, proceeds. But there you know it, all you need to do is look across the pond to see you know what the potential is for you know, a, a, a fully functioning market and the offerings that are available. Um, and I, I think people would be uh, pretty shocked with, you know, the product offerings and, you know, what could take place in this country. And, you know, on that on that front, you know, when I think about in-game wagering, I, I look at a, a sport like baseball, and it's interesting that you mentioned Al Leiter, a former Major League pitcher, testifying about in-game wagering recently. Um, but when I look at baseball, it seems to me that that sport, given the pace of play, which is interesting because that's always that that seems to be part of the lexicon over the past four or five years, pace of game. But when you look at the pace of play in baseball, it would seem to me that perhaps more than the other sports, that would be the one where in-game wagering, because that game sort of unfolds a little bit more slowly, uh, where in-game wagering could be popular. I. I think that in-game can be popular across the board. Um, you know, the time that I've, I've spent out in Nevada uh, doing some work, the you know, I, I hear a lot about basketball in-game, and, and that's you know something a product that you know people really seem to enjoy. Um, but you're you're 100% correct. You know, with the obviously baseball has made you know a an uh, effort to address pace of play issues. I, look, in-game wagering is not going to be for everybody uh, for obvious reasons, but I do think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, those types of wagers, you know, will a run be scored this inning? Will, you know, so-and-so get a hit? Will, you know, will they strike out, um, you know, an updated run line? Whatever it is, I, I do agree that baseball has potential to to benefit um, just given the the inherent pace of play issues, and that may lend itself to you know benefiting baseball because you have more time to you know think about the wager you're going to make, right? There's there's time in between innings. You know a, a line can be posted. It's not an instant uh, decision that needs to be made. You have a few minutes to say, okay, you know, do I want to wager on this? So for the people that want to uh, partake in that, I, I do think that. You know, it's a it's it helps baseball from from that pace of play uh, concern. But that's when you also get into all right. You know, making sure that there's there's no issue with the wagers being offered, and that's the discussion that's taking place. And you know, the the feeling out as to what everybody's comfortable with, and, and you know how we move forward. So, um, but you but you're 100% right. It it is a a a tool to uh, potentially address pace of play issues. Now, Chris, you, you you've gone on record and you even mentioned it here in the in in, in the um, in our conversation today that you believe that it's much better for the wagering to be legalized, right, and so that this way it can be regulated. Um, but are there any downsides uh, to legalized betting any downsides for youth or in any other respect uh to legalized betting yeah i I, listen that's a valid concern and i think that the one that jumps out 
you know, immediately is potential for problem uh, problem gamblers. Um, you know, and and the if you, if you go back to the daily fantasy uh, uh, movement, essentially in 2015, you know, the advertising blitz that both those companies went on. When when I say both those companies, DraftKings and FanDuel, where you know, you couldn't watch a game or turn on a TV without seeing a DraftKings or FanDuel ad. You know, do we end up in a position where, you know, now it's bookmakers that are flooding the airways and you have kids, you know, watching that. It, all legitimate concerns. I, I think that, you know, me personally, I go back to the fact that um, it, there's a massive underground market and, you know, especially when it comes to problem gamblers, I'm of the mindset that problem gamblers are gambling. And, you know, in an unregulated space, the safeguards are not in place to potentially help people uh, like that. Um, In a regulated space, they are. Um, You know, you have uh, money that's set aside for problem gamblers. Uh, Bookmakers are required to have ad campaigns to address problem gambling. Operators are taught, you know, how to identify problem gambling. so, you know, I just think that, you know, given the, the state of where we are and the size of the underground market, that money uh, is much better in the regulated space. It's taxed, it's transparent, um, it's easier to monitor. And I think that for the um, for the minority that will have issues with gambling, um, there are, are programs in place. It's like anything, Jeff. I mean, you know, alcohol is legal. You have people that are alcoholics. Uh, people are addicted to scratch-offs, you know, and people play the lottery. Um, you know, people get mixed up in, in drugs. Unfortunately, you know, anything that can be addictive, uh, you're going to have people that, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, have issues with it. But I, I think that given the prevalence of it, I, they're, they're, those people are better off with a regulated market. And, you know, I I just think that that's the, the better way to handle it at this point. And it sounds like most people agree with that, um, just knowing, you know, the, the size of what currently exists and what goes on. All right, Chris, so I'm going to ask you now to pull out your crystal ball. And, and not good us, at this. So, <laughs> how do you see things unfolding here, uh, both in in the short term and the long term, as states move in? Do you, for example, do you anticipate Congress passing legislation, or do you think this will remain a state by state issue, um, and with some states getting in and some states not? How, how do you see this unfolding? if you were to have to predict today based on what you see out there? So I I would lean towards, I, let me put it this way, I think that it will be a state-by-state issue. If Congress acts, I think it will be to set minimum standards for the states, and then it's the state's responsibility to you know, decide what they want to do with gaming, um, what they, uh, you know, what they're comfortable with. But if Congress acts, it will be to set minimum standards that each state must follow. Um, so that's the first part. Second part, I think we'll we'll have, um, like I said, I, I think I you will see four uh, four states most likely: uh, Nevada, Delaware, West Virginia, Mississippi. Um, excuse me, five potentially. Obviously, New Jersey um, have sports betting by the fall. 
Um, there are estimates within, you know, five years we could have up to 32 states. Um, how the legislation and, and regulations that are adopted work, um, you know, when it comes to tax rates, uh, product offerings, you know, will there be mobile? Will it all be land-based? You know, how convenient do you want to make the product uh, for the consumer? That's anybody's guess. Um, but I do think it will be done at the state level. Um, but I, I think that there will be a feeling out period. It, Pennsylvania um, has, has adopted legislation that would pave the way to legalize sports betting, but the tax rate is, you know, close to 40 percent. Um, and that's after a $10 million uh, licensing fee. You know, to, to give you context, the tax rate in Nevada is roughly 6.75%. Mm. So, you know, you'll have the, this feeling out period where mistakes will be made um, because it's just it's not viable um, when it comes to, you know, having a tax rate that high and fees associated uh, with the cost. Um, so short term, I, I think that that's what we're looking at. You know, long term, what will be interesting to see is, you know, for instance, is the 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 Wire Act, uh, the um, at the federal level, uh, the Wire Act of, of 1961 um, prohibits interstate wagering. So, you know, I, I didn't really address it earlier, but all of these states, this is, uh, you know, happening state by state. You will have to be physically located within that state to wager. Um, you know, even with a mobile product, Nevada has mobile now, and, it, and there's geofencing. Essentially, when you leave the state, they know you left the state. You can't wager with the sports book. So, until the Wire Act is addressed, we will not have interstate wagering. Um, I think that may uh, prohibit some growth um, when it comes to the industry. It will be interesting to see if that's addressed. Um, I mentioned the exchange betting, and you know, will those types of products be? Uh, available, I we you know it, it's too early to, to see. Patty Power has a platform. It's not like their their sports book business, but you know they have the Betfair uh, platform. You know that will be interesting. Um, you know, will a state be progressive uh, and you know not require a a sports book operator to be associated with a casino and or, and or racetrack? Um, you know, that's that time will tell. I think that once you remove the requirement that you be tied to those properties, you you obviously will have more entrance to the market. Um, you know, so that's something to watch. And I also think just from a more you know general uh, sports fan and, and consumer um, perspective, you know, what happens with media? And you know, that's been something that's been talked about a lot. How are games covered? Um, I don't see us ever getting to a point where, you know, the play-by-play people are talking about lines in the booth um, and, you know, a, a touchdown covering a spread or, you know, hitting an over or an under. Um, I do think you have supplemental programming that, you know, deals with that. I think that you'll have more uh, shows pop up that may be gambling-related. Uh, ESPN on their ESPN Plus product recently launched a show uh, in conjunction with the Action Network, which is a, uh, a Peter Chernin company that's run by um, a former editor of ESPN, Chad Millman. He uh, he handled ESPN Chalk, which is their betting site. Um, you know, they now have a show uh, that 
it looks similar to PTI almost, uh, part of the interruption, but that's on their ESPN Plus platform. So, you know, will that programming become more prevalent? I think it will. I don't think it will bleed into the broadcast, but, you know, time will tell. Uh, and, you know, it will be interesting to see how, how that evolves as well. So I think it we're, we're in for a fascinating, you know, next five to ten years to see how this actually develops. And, you know, I, I think the safe bet is uh, what we're – we stand here today talking, the conversation will be much different, you know, even, you know, two, three years down the road. But definitely, you know, five to ten years, we're going to be in a – uh, a market that you know it looks much different than it does today. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. It's it's intriguing and it's worth watching. And so, Chris, I want to thank you for joining us today to talk about uh, the ins and outs of sports gambling, and and we'll see where it goes. And um, and before I let you go, I just want to tell those who are who are listening that um, uh, you also. Uh, through Excalibur, uh, are heavily involved in in salary arbitration, and um, and uh, we've appeared uh, on opposite sides of the table in the past. And That's correct, I'm sure I'm sure we'll appear on opposite sides of the table in the future. But certainly um, later this year, I would love to have you come back, and uh, we can talk about salary arbitration. But you know, for today. The, the discussion on sports gambling has really been enlightening. And I, um, I want to thank you for that. And, and as I look forward to uh, our conversation, maybe later in the year, I just want to, uh, again, just get, uh, thank you for taking some time today. Sure. Yeah. It's nice to actually have a conversation outside of a hearing room. So it's, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun and I appreciate you having me on and uh, we will, we will talk again. That's it uh, sounds like a plan. Yes, sure does. So uh, thanks again for joining us, Chris Sapola. That was a fascinating discussion on one of the hottest topics in the sports world. Chris Sapola provided a wealth of information on the subject of sports gambling that I trust you found enlightening. A few hours after our interview on June 11, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signed a bill legalizing sports betting in the Garden State. As Chris noted, other states are sure to follow suit, and we'll be keeping an eye on it. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you choose. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, YouTube, you name it. And encourage your friends to subscribe as well. Until then, you know what time it is now. Time for Scully to take us home. But we'll be back soon with another edition of Sports 360. And we hope to catch you then. Later.